What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Quick, come on. They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music.
and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all of the usual caveats, of course. But as always, I'm your ever-so-humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And, of course, if you're listening uh, to the show here on KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, uh, great Saturday morning. Hope you have a fantastic day. For everybody else, this is Wednesday evening. Welcome to the show. Should be an interesting show. Uh, certainly uh, have uh, plenty of topics to discuss. No shortage of news since the uh, ending of the Labor Day holiday weekend, which, by the way, I do hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. For those of you who got an extra day or a long weekend to enjoy it, I hope uh, the weather was as nice for you as it was for me where I was at. Uh, we had a, a few stray thunder showers here and there, interrupted activities just very minimally. And uh, for the most part, ended up getting way too much sun, but uh, great time with the family. And uh, I certainly, certainly needed the break. So I, uh, I enjoyed mine. I hope everyone else uh, had similar, if not identical, uh, situations where you got some time to unwind. And for those of you who are listening internationally, which I know there's a strong contingent of you guys that are following both in Canada and in the UK, and now Mexico's getting pretty strong numbers as well. Uh, Ireland's numbers have been strong. And here recently, some of the African and some of the uh, Asian nations that are uh, more in line with the uh, Arab world have started tuning in a little more regularly too. So, welcome to the broadcast, and I hope you guys enjoy it. In the meanwhile, uh, let's let's jump into things. I hear in a little bit, I'm scheduled to be joined by the co-chair of the Media Equity, uh, the Media Equality Project, Equity uh, Equality Project, and the national spokesperson for MediaEqualizer.com, Miss Megan Barth, will be with us again. Barth is. Uh, a generous lady when it comes to her time. She's been with us a few times. I certainly enjoy speaking with her. And uh, we'll be discussing, well, what else? Uh, the whole media coverage of the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, or as I'm calling it, the circus that's come back to D.C. <coughs> Excuse me. And then at the top of the second hour, I will be joined by Dr. Warren Farrell. And... Uh, Dr. Farrell will be discussing with me the boy crisis. Uh, yeah, it's not a new boy band. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, we'll get into that and uh, everything that goes along with that at the of this second hour. In the meanwhile, it is interesting, to say the least, some of the things that have been transpiring. I see that Annie is in the chat room, one of the first people in, and I see that there is a guest, guest 247, so welcome to the chat room, Annie, and uh, guest. Uh, let's uh, let's get right into stuff, shall we? Uh, I, I'm not sure what the bigger deal is. Obviously, yesterday, the most dominating story that is worth discussing had a lot to do with the confirmation hearings. Uh, I mean, it was utterly ridiculous. But I think today's top story ended up being a late arrival into it as it kind of ballooned up. And that is this anonymous op-ed piece that the New York Times decided to run with. Basically, well, let's just, let's just talk about it. 
In an unsigned op-ed published in the New York Times Wednesday, for those of you not listening live, a senior Trump administration official describes working with other members of the, quote, steady state, you know, not the deep state, the steady state, in an effort to rein in the president's worst inclinations. Now, the dilemma, which Trump does not fully grasp, according to this op-ed, is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I'm one of them. I just so well written. <laughs> Such a great op-ed. Of course, I guess I shouldn't criticize. It's not like threads that have been published are necessarily great works of art. So uh, uh, literature be what it is and all. Anyway, the author, whoever this anonymous author may very well be, stipulates that he does not belong to the popular resistance of the left. I'm questioning popular is the phrasing here, uh, and praises some of the administration's accomplishments, including deregulation and tax reform, uh, but then goes on to argue that those policy achievements came about despite and not because of President Trump's leadership style. Now, we've discussed President Trump's leadership style on multiple occasions here. He's an imprecise communicator. But he is the kind of guy who basically shoots from the hip. So obviously, I think it's Ben Shapiro who says quite frequently that uh, Donald Trump, he says a lot. He says a lot of stuff. And you know you have to be able to sort through the minutia and decide which stuff means something and which stuff doesn't because clearly a lot of it doesn't really mean anything. Other than to see who he can get upset. I mean, President Trump is the master of trolling the left, and he gets them all upset about some of the stuff he says. And while they're over here complaining about what he said, uh, the next thing you know, you look over here and something's being done. Something just got accomplished that the left was too busy worrying about what he had said to try and stop. I think it seems to be working, but not according to this anonymous official. So… I'll continue. At issue, the official writes, is Trump's lack of core belief system or ethical bearings. And, you know, we, we've kind of talked about that before here, too. Uh, so far, I haven't seen anything that I would say is surprising. But, uh, quote, the root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he's not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision-making. Uh, he, he being the official, goes on to rule out the possibility of openly advocating impeachment. I thought this was as something that was important in uh, this op-ed, citing that a desire to avoid a constitutional crisis is the primary reason, but does mention the fact that he or she or Z or they or whatever uh, <laughs> mentions that the they uh, and other unnamed cabinet secretaries considered the option early in the administration. In fact, quote, given the uns 
the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for, remove, for removing the president. But no one wanted to participate in a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or another it's over. Now, okay, I have some comments to add at that point, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit longer, and then we'll kind of go from uh, once we get to the end. How does that sound to everybody? Now, the White House called for the Times to apologize and demanded that the, <clears throat> quote, gutless anonymous author resign in a uh, statement that was issued soon after the op-ed was published. In fact, uh, Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said in said statement, quote, nearly 62 million people voted for President Donald J. Trump in 2016, earning him 306 electoral college votes versus the 232 for his opponent. None of them voted for a gutless, anonymous source to the failing New York Times. We are disappointed, but not surprised, that the paper chose to publish this pathetic, reckless, and selfish op-ed. The individual behind this piece has chosen to deceive rather than support the duly elected president of the United States. He is not putting country first, but putting himself and his ego ahead of the will of the American people. This coward should do the right thing and resign. Now, uh, this blistering attack on the White House comes just a day after the Washington Post published excerpts from Bob Woodward's harshly critical book, Fear, which, of course, depicts Donald Trump as – Incompetent and unstable. Uh, not a big surprise there either, given Woodward's uh, political leanings. And like the op-ed, the book, which Trump has described as fictional, paints a number of senior administration officials as being primarily concerned with managing Trump's destructive instincts and ensuring that some of his more radical policy goals are never achieved. In one particular telling example, Woodward actually reports that Trump's former top economic advisor, Gary Cohn, throated one of Tr uh, President Trump's desires to withdraw from the U.S. <laughs> to withdraw the U.S. from a free trade agreement with South Korea by literally physically removing a letter announcing the withdrawal from his desk before he could sign it. Now, I, 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 what do you say to stuff like that? I see that uh, Chief is joining us in the chat room. Uh, welcome, Chief. Now, here's here's the thing. I, I honestly question whether or not an individual who truly feels like the current setting president is so dangerous. Why would you be part of the administration? I, you're not really serving the purpose you're claiming. I'm sorry. You can say this all you want. I'm there to try and help keep things together. 
you know, it sounds to me more like these more destructive inclinations that Donald Trump has has to do more with the draining of the swamp than it has to do with anything that's actually dangerous. Would it have truly hurt the United States to have been removed from this free trade agreement with South Korea? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It would probably hurt South Korea and it probably would destabilize the region if, if this wasn't a negotiating ploy to try and renegotiate a brand new free trade agreement, which is something Donald Trump has been doing left and right. It's something that seems to be working for the most part. Uh, nobody thought he could rework NAFTA, and NAFTA is coming along nicely. Yeah, it is one of those things. Uh, I see uh, Annie, uh, Annie Ubelis, host of Southern Sense Talk Radio, said that uh, protesters were paid off at Kavanaugh's hearing and uh, made a comment, how much you want to bet it was Soros' money? Uh, I would be willing to bet uh, there's a high probability of that, but Soros isn't the only multi-millionaire or even billionaire that uh, contributes to such leftist causes. It's just he's one of the most consistent at it. (laughs) Uh, But back to this, uh, this whole piece, uh, do you really – expect people to believe i mean first of all since it was anonymous can we even be certain that this truly is someone that is a top official or even a mid-range official or even a low-level official in the trump administration this could clearly be somebody that has had nothing to do with it or has had nothing to do with the trump administration since the earliest days, one of the folks that left early. I mean, you even got Amarosa out there running around. I thought there was this a great add-on that I tried to warn you in my new book of the who the person is I think it is, and don't be surprised when you find out if it isn't a former family member or possibly still a family member. <laughs> We're living in a reality TV show. That is where we are. Uh, it is just that simple. This sounds like uh, a distraction to me more than anything, and I don't know how much damage can really be done. Here's the truth of the matter. Donald J. Trump likes to uh, – Donald J. Trump likes to talk. He likes to say a lot of things, and uh, more often than not – 
when he does these things, he's pretty much talking. <laughs> he says a lot of stuff, period. Are some of the things that he wants to do when he's uh, kicking it off on the shooting from the hip kind of moment something you need to be concerned about? If he was serious about it, yes. But a lot of what he says, like I already said, it has a lot to do with trolling folks on the left, and he seems pretty good at that. And then some other things he says, he says in the spur of the moment. Then he gets some advice, talks to his advisors who have a little more working knowledge of what it is specifically he's talking about, and he changes his mind. A chief in the chat room says, New York Times will believe that anyone who trashes Trump is in the administration, but will they believe Q? Well, chief, that's uh, an interesting question, and uh, of course not. Q is a radical, radical organization uh, and still just a conspiracy theory, according to the New York Times. I myself don't put a whole lot of stock in this Q on or whatever uh, bit myself. Uh, I just see it as an additional distraction. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think this amounts to much either. This is just an effort to try and trash Donald Trump and to try and continue this ridiculous attack on everything that is Trump. I mean, there's nothing more that these leftists. Uh, yes, Annie, I did. <laughs> just, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> and yes, Chief, I understand what you mean. <laughs> uh, your point is well made. Uh, Chief says me either, but uh, in referencing to the QAnon uh, phenomenon. But uh, you know, it's a reasonable thought process. Donald Trump is being successful. Donald Trump has already kept more campaign promises in about two years' time, a little less, than most presidents who have had two full terms have even attempted to keep. And he's still working on it. Very businesslike, he has his little checklist, and he's going down his checklist, and he's going point by point, box by box, and he's checking these things off, and he's making great progress. It's phenomenal. What he's managed to accomplish in a short amount of time. Now, if this is truly the efforts of a small group inside the administration that's really keeping him at bay and uh, trying to, to make this stuff happen, then fine. <laughs> Back to my style point. <laughs> Sorry, uh, those of you listening to KYAH. And those of you listening after the fact who are not getting the uh, pleasure of being in the chat room, uh, you will not know what I'm chuckling. But that's just one more good reason why you should come to the show, listen live, hang out in the chat room, and get to be part of the conversation here. Uh, when the chat room builds up, there ends up being a lot of great folks in here usually, and we'll have uh, some pretty interesting conversations. And every now and then, they even stay on the topics that I'm talking about, although more often than not, they have their own side conversations, and that's okay too. So 
you know, everybody wants to talk. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Donald Trump is talking about him being gutless. Well, here's the thing. If you honestly believe – I'm with Trump. I'm with uh, Sanders on this. Sarah is absolutely right when she read this statement. If you really, really believe that it comes down to a constitutional crisis to make things right, then either you take that step forward – or you resign. I, I think you should resign. I really do. I really. I don't think you should associate yourself. <laughs> yes, Chief, you do. Uh, Chief just said he tries to stay on topic. He does a very good job of that. Uh, I. You should resign if this is how you really feel, and you should tell the world why. You should say, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm for. I signed on for this, this, and this. I didn't sign on for this, this, and this. And you should maybe move forward under the 25th Amendment if that's what's necessary, if you really believe that. But if you honestly believe you can still kind of uh, shepherd a Trump in a certain fashion and that's going to be your best bet, why would you risk that one shiny moment when you're not able to do it? Why would you – if he really is that sporadic, if he really is that – Unnerved. If he really is that much of a loose cannon, why would you risk that one moment when you're not in a position to corral him back, to pull back on those reins, and he accomplishes uh, something that he promised is just so dangerous to the American people, that legitimately is dangerous to the American people and maybe even other people around the world? Why would you risk that? Why is that what you're willing to do? I'm serving my country by – no, you're biding your time, and you're waiting for that opportunity to find a more lucrative opportunity in the private sector once you're done. Or biding your time to move in so you can be part of a cabinet with somebody else later on. Or biding your time and hoping that you yourself can become a candidate at some point down the road. And you're doing this because… You're a swamp dweller. This isn't about serving the country. It's about serving yourself. If you really believe it's that bad, you have to do the right thing. And the right thing is to come forward, go public, resign, explain why, and say you will not have your name associated with this. But if you've been doing this for a while, if you've been doing this for a while… And you're so comfortable with it, you don't even realize that you're helping the other side, that you're working against those great results that you were bragging about. I'm happy that we've accomplished these economic achievements, but let me help the other side by writing this op-ed piece and denying that I'm part of the resistance, denying that I'm part of the deep state. Let me create a new phrase that the media is going to love. They're going to the idea of the steady state. Why? Because it actually plays in with what the founders wanted. It actually plays in with how our government should operate. We should have elected officials. They play politics. And then we should have the bureaucrats. They should not be involved in politics. They should be the steady state. They should be neither blue or red when it comes time to clock in. Now, they can be as deep blue or as deep red as they want to be when they are clopped out. 
But when they're on the clock and doing the work of the people, when they're in the bureaucracy, there should be no political inclination visible, period. Should not be knowledgeable. In fact, there should be punishment, not termination necessarily, but there should be punishment for being called making wildly crazy political statements on social media because you can't compromise yourself. Not if you're going to be true to the job, not if you're going to work at the uh, Justice Department, not if you're going to work at uh, the Internal Revenue Service, not if you're going to work at the Treasury Department or any other section thereof. If you're part of the bureaucracy, you need to be above politics, just like we should want like we should want our judicial branch to be. But we've seen how that's been playing out. But that's just me. And what do I know? I'm just some little humble guy down here in East Tennessee, hanging out just outside of Knoxville. <sighs> Never mind the fact that I have been educated in uh, biology and then have made it a, a personal improvement to, to study politics and social science and I'm certainly no expert but I'm being more and more imbued with knowledge with every new piece of information I intake and then I just pay attention and I try not to forget I try not to forget things now I'm still just as likely to on occasion but I, I try not to um, Chief by the way was trying to uh, clarify a statement that he made. He said, back to my style points comment, uh, you're talking about how people criticize Trump's style. My point is that results matter. Style doesn't. Uh, well, you know, I, I do agree with that to a certain extent, but I can think of a lot of occasions where someone's style should matter. Uh, if you are a professional athlete, if your style is very unsportsmanlike, or very sporadic and causes issues with men, uh, among your own teammates, things of that nature. Or if your style is to actually to cheat for as long as you can get away with it before you face a penalty, uh, then, uh, then yeah, in those cases, style should matter. But then when it comes down to a description between uh, using the same uh, analogy of professional sports. Uh, let's look at professional football, you know, since that's a major topic with Colin Kaepernick and all, and I'll kind of touch on the new Nike stuff towards the end of the show. May even bring it up a little bit with Megan while she's on. Um, you, you have people who win ugly. You know, people like uh, Jim McMahon, Chicago Bears back in the '85. Didn't look pretty as a quarterback, didn't have gaudy numbers, but he just went out and he managed games. And he sometimes struggled, but he found ways to create opportunities in a lot of ways. Uh, you can turn around and you look at a uh, Tom Brady who you know, is the epitome of a pocket passer and just sits back there and makes uh, great throws, or at least he has in the earlier days of his career. And has those gaudy numbers. Ski jumping is the most glaring example. 
But you know the the point still stands that when it comes to that result, at the end of the day, whether you win by one point or you win by forty, all that matters is that you won. So in those cases, yes, results matter way more than style does. But there are situations where style should. It being this, yes. I do understand why folks on the left have a problem with Donald Trump's style. What I don't understand is why they do not accept the fact that many of us had a problem with Barack Hussein al Akbar Obama's style. And yet it was just automatically racist of us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Although, for some reason, my tech is kind of stalling out on me here, so as I'm stalling... Let me go ahead and play a little Matt Fitzgibbons for you uh, as I place that phone call. And then presumably when I get back, we will have a uh, reasonable conversation uh, with Miss uh, Megan Barth. And meanwhile, uh, let's see here. Uh, check out PatriotMusic.com whenever you get a chance. Uh, this is I of the Hurricane, uh, PatriotMusic.com. I'll be right back. above the gun Hear the wind Across the plain There is no fear That I must contain And I'm in the eye Of the hurricane I see the sweat Across his brow Draw in eternal now. The fastest one is the one who's slain. I still stand, got the better aim. And I'm in the eye of the hurricane. Now I want the 
Ladies and gentlemen, that, of course, is Eye of the Hurricane, one of uh, Matt Fitzgibbon's great songs over. You can find that out at thepatriotmusic.com and let them know I sent you over there. In the meanwhile, it is now my honor and privilege to welcome back to the show uh, the co-chair of the Media Equality Project and the national spokeswoman for MediaEqualizer.com, and of course, also still the purveyor of ReaganBabe.com, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Megan Barth. Megan, welcome back to the show, and thank you very much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you so much. Good to be back with you. All right. Well, let's jump right into things uh, and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Kavanaugh Confirmation Circus. Uh, we've uh, we've certainly seen some uh, ridiculous uh, things in the early goings. Day one, what was it? Ten seconds, maybe, before the first interruption. Uh, yeah, uh, approximately. Uh, it started right away. The chaos, the circus, as you call it, started uh, right away. And we can't think that this was just a spontaneous eruption of grassroots activists. As a matter of fact. Uh, It was very well planned by the leadership within the Democrat Party, namely Chuck Schumer, uh, on a phone call over the weekend with others like Dick Durbin uh, and many of their built-in activists that they pay uh, and they recruit from various organizations, specifically one, Organizing for America, which um, Barack Obama's uh, organization and probably still remains his organization uh, when he was campaigning. Uh, And so this type of circus is exactly what we can expect should the Democrats take the House. Uh, This circus yesterday stalled the proceedings by an hour and 19 minutes. Uh, There were over, I think, 70 arrests, uh, dozens of outbursts. And this is just your typical chaos that the Democrats thrive in. Uh, If there's not a crisis, they'll make one up. And, of course, Kavanaugh, like any other Republican nominee, Republican candidate, or Republican president, of course, is going to force women down to Tijuana to get back alley abortions. Uh, They are going to be racist in their decisions uh, because that is the default position when the Democrats can't argue policy is automatically everybody that doesn't think like them uh, is a Nazi or a racist or a misogynist or some sort of bigot. Right. And let's not forget uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's big statement uh, when she was talking about Kavanaugh, uh, not here most recently, but a few weeks back. She literally made the statement that I used to fear the Republicans were trying to push us back to the 1960s. Now I think it's the 1860s. Um, yeah, we, we certainly get our fair share of these insinuations that everything evil is Republican. But uh, Kavanaugh really – as far as the other folks on Donald Trump's list of potential candidates, Kavanaugh is one that they probably should have the least uh, issue with, wouldn't you think? Well, judging from their past behavior and their votes on Kavanaugh, specifically to the federal bench, I think so. Uh, but that was years ago, and it's 2017, 2018. Uh, It's time for the resistance movement. Uh, And so the Democrats won't stand for anything. Hell, they won't even stand for our flag. Uh, So they'll just stand against everything and then hope that their hatred president, who stripped them of their power, uh, will push them over uh, the um, election lines to secure a midterm win and regain control 
of the House led by none other than Nancy Pelosi. Uh, don't you know Nancy Pelosi wants those crumbs back? I don't know why her, she refers to and other Democrats refer to our tax cuts as crumbs. Uh, but And who would want crumbs back if they're just crumbs? But the Democrats don't want you to have more of your money to spend. They want that money back. Specifically, they want it back in order to protect illegal aliens because now that Trump's economic policies have freed uh, people that were formerly dependent on government uh, now are independent from government, uh, the Democrats have to find a new dependency uh, demographic. Uh, in order to create more generational poverty, and how else do you do that uh, but turn your back on the American citizens, including black Americans, Hispanic Americans, as they see their numbers falling uh, within those demographics. Uh, They will now turn to illegal uh, aliens and protect illegal aliens by advocating for the abolition of ICE, as well as open borders, as well as stripping you of your money, wanting those crumbs back, and then, of course, they won't build a wall because when you have an open border, you don't need a wall. Absolutely. Now, obviously you're keeping a close eye on all of these different stories all at one time, but a big thing that you guys do over at media equalizer is really focused on the media hypocrisy. How would you rate so far uh, the media coverage and the zeal that we've seen from the mainstream media, especially the more leftist outlets, uh, literally not just enjoying and uh, appreciating, but literally celebrating these interruptions and the, just the complete ridiculous actions during this hearing so far. Well, they're cheering for the failure of this presidency along with the Democrats. I mean, all that, you know, one of the reasons why I started my own personal blog a few years ago, ReaganBabe.com, is is because I was not seeing the truth in the headlines um, and nor in many of the articles. And the truth was buried on, you know, paragraph nine in a 10 page or a 10 paragraph article. But uh, I was seeing sensationalized journalism, yellow journalism, as we used to call it back in high school. Um, And so I thought, you know, there is truth somewhere, and if no one's going to report it in the mainstream media, uh, you know, I can read, I can write, I can research. Uh, Let me put my pen to paper and see what I can come up with. And I found that there are a lot of people that want the truth and don't want to be fed a bunch of garbage and BS uh, from the mainstream media who have abandoned all uh, principles of journalistic integrity and ethics on the altar of the Democrat Party. Uh, We used to call CNN the Clinton News Network. Uh, Well, now Lenny Davis has confirmed that for us because he was the anonymous source who supposedly told the New York, or who did tell the New York Times that Michael Cohen had uh, briefed Donald Trump on Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting with the Russian lawyer. uh, And in fact, that never happened. Yet CNN Uh, stood by that story, uh, even though Lenny Davis, who was their anonymous source, who then became unanonymous, said, no, that was, uh, I misspoke. In other words, he lied. Uh, Lenny Davis lied in order to continue to give Hillary Clinton cover and continue to provide the New York Times uh, with salacious and what I would call seditious uh, types of journalistic uh, reporting or, or types of journalism, rather, 
uh, in order to undermine the will of the American people, uh, create dissent amongst the American people. I mean, look at it this way, Tim, if you want. Um, who do you think has created more division in this country, the Russians or someone like CNN? <laughs> Clearly CNN. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great yeah. point. Um I do wonder, though, uh, how would you grade – is there anybody who's done a good job of countering uh, these attacks from the left that are so clearly orchestrated? I mean Dick Durbin, I think, uh, made a uh, very telling statement when he talked about how this, referring to the interruptions, is democracy and that it's loud and it's messy and was trying to lay ground cover. But uh, would you say anyone among the Republicans have done a better job than the rest as far as uh, – Defending how the process is supposed to work? Well, I think that the Freedom Caucus is always my go to when I try to look for at least some civility when it comes to uh, political discourse uh, and also just transparency when it comes to uh, politics in general. I, I think journalists who actually do uh, a favor to the American people by reporting the truth, presenting the facts, and then letting the American people decide their opinion would be somebody like Kimberly Strassel from the Wall Street Journal. She has done an excellent job specifically on the abuses of the FISA court. Uh, then, of course, we can't forget Cheryl Atkinson, who was fired from, I believe it was CBS, uh, for getting too close to the Benghazi um, scandal. Uh, and uh, she, in turn, Cheryl Atkinson, was spied upon by the uh, former administration, Barack Obama's administration, whereby she had her phone and her um, uh, computers bugged uh, by that administration, and she's currently embroiled in a battle uh, with the former administration and is suing the former administration. And, of course, uh, Barack Obama also spied on James Rosen and James Rosen's family. And you never heard anybody from the press complaining about this intrusion of the executive branch threatening uh, journalists. Uh, you, you never really heard those complaints. Uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, Donald Trump calls these false and anonymous sources and false uh, reporting fake news. And all of a sudden, the press is now scared for their lives because they're supposedly receiving death threats. Yet they look the other way when uh, Trump supporters and Donald Trump, of course, is threatened uh, every single day or threatened with violence or even subjected to violence, as we saw often and do see commonly now, uh, whether it's students or adults wearing you know, Trump uh, campaign gear. Uh, and so I do think that the Republicans, very few of them, are fighting back, specifically within the Freedom Caucus. But I'm very glad to see that actually Trump is a leader one of the very few Republican leaders I can remember that really take the Democrats to task, hold them accountable, and fight fire with fire, even if it's firing off a tweet uh, or if it's saying something uh, directly to the camera or during a rally that he has. Because I don't remember, honestly, a Republican president or elected official in my lifetime that has caused the Democrats and the press so much discomfort and grief and very well deserved discomfort and grief. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as the media is concerned, though, the very big difference there is Barack Obama was, of course, the chosen one, and Donald J. Trump is the kicker of puppy and eaters of babies. So uh, just a, an evil that must be stopped. 
Uh, real quick, I know we're running out of time real fast, and these segments are always so fast with you, Megan. It's a sign of great conversation. Um, real quick, I wanted to touch on a separate subject and then give you an opportunity to share all the uh, information where we can find your work and uh, that stuff. But the topic of the New York Times anonymous op-ed, I know you've got to have With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I have a hot take on that. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's kind of it's obviously ambiguous for a reason. Um, there are very few people within the New York Times who, and let's remind everybody, the New York Times hired a uh, a racist uh, to run their editorial board. So I'm sure that this racist knows who this anonymous person is. Um, but it's it's so ambiguous that it could be a senior administration official in the EPA, right? It could be. Uh, in any one of the alphabet agencies that were left over from the Barack Obama administration and kind of just folded into this administration. Uh, One of the things I wish Donald Trump had done uh, as he was entering the Oval Office was to fire every single Clinton and Obama appointee in pretty much every agency he was able to, because let's not forget Clinton actually uh, fired, I think, all of the uh, attorneys uh, in, in one sector uh, in order for him to make any progress, of course, that he wanted to make. So the precedent was set. Uh, Donald Trump, I wish, had a little bit more of a hand in, in the firing and hiring. Um, but this anonymous source, again, um, you know, take it for what it's worth and take it for the uh, paper in which it was written. Uh, the New York Times has a history of um, subverting this president uh, working against this president, using anonymous sources, again, in order to sow the seeds of dissent, which the Republic, or excuse me, which the Democrats want and need. Because as I was saying earlier, actually on a different show, the Democrats need to operate within a realm of chaos. And they do so in order to create fear. Now, why would they create fear? Well, fear is a very easy emotion to control and to manipulate. So, you know, all Republicans are Nazis. Well, of course, who doesn't want to punch a Nazi? Well, all Republicans want to repeal Roe v. Wade, or all Republicans are against women's rights. Uh, You know, and so women must be afraid of Republicans. People of color must be afraid of Republicans. Uh, And so this this continued mode of fear that the Democrats operate in are continuously carried out by their patsies in the propaganda media. And so the New York Times is going to run with anonymous sources 
I'm sure that the senior administration official is a leftover from the Barack Obama administration. Is he or is he not within the White House? Remains to be seen. Uh, but there are a handful of names. Uh, Raj Shah, for example, keeps coming up time and time and time again. Um, but we can all speculate. But the fact is we should not be surprised. Number one, that there's leftover senior officials that have been within a government uh, alphabet agency for far way too long. And number two, if, it was, if he's a leftover from a prior administration, we again should not be surprised because we have been witness to a seditious conspiracy run by the prior administration in order to sabotage this administration and undermine the will of a duly elected president, so undermining the will of the American people. All right. Uh, thank you again for your time. I certainly appreciate it. I know you're very busy between all the different interviews and all the work you're doing yourself. So uh, one more time, uh, please let everybody know where they can find your work and uh, all the efforts that you have ongoing. And if you invite people to follow you on social media, by all means, please feel free to share that as well. Uh, well, my personal work, uh, as well as uh, a contributor that I work with, uh, can be found at ReaganBabe.com, uh, also at ReaganBabe on Twitter and at ReaganBabe.com on Facebook. Uh, and then, of course, I'm the national uh, spokesperson for MediaEqualizer.com. That would be media equal, at MediaEqualizer on Twitter and Facebook. And then we have a very active network of uh, conservative independent activists on Facebook called Stop the Scalpings. And that's Stop the Scalpings STS on Facebook, where we fight back. Um, we can boycott the boycotters. We support the advertisers that support our voices. We fight against censorship against the monopoly of and for example with Colin Kaepernick um, you know we, we led a boycott campaign against Nike and it's going very well so I would encourage anyone who wants to get active and be amongst uh, fellow activists uh, to join Stop the Scalpings on Facebook uh, Once again ladies and gentlemen Miss Megan Barth. Megan uh, we will have to get back together soon and uh, continue the conversation there's never a shortage of things to talk about no, there is not. I'll look forward to next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Megan Barth. All right. Uh, and, you know, I, she sums up a lot of information there very uh, succinctly, very quickly. And it really does come back to kind of utilizing certain tactics that have traditionally been used against conservatives. Uh, that's what Stop the Scalpings is about. It was a way of pushing back in the same fashion that uh, people were being pushed against in the first place. Um, Nike finds themselves uh, in a situation. We'll talk about that uh, after uh, my next guest, uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, will be joining me at the top of the second hour, uh, which is just mere moments away. But, uh, you know, it, it still it, it doesn't doesn't really hit you until you take the time to look case by case and piece by piece. And one thing that I didn't even really want to say at this point, but while Megan's completely correct that this could literally be just about anyone in one of these senior positions who is a longtime holdover, again, because they're supposed to be in the bureaucracy. They're supposed to be in the area that are non-political to be aside, not 
blue, not red, at least not while they're on the clock. But it still occurs to me that at this point, with no name attached, we really have no way of knowing if this person even is in the administration or not. All we have is the word of the New York Times, and unfortunately, the New York Times has not been the most reliable source of information as of late. And and when I say as of late, I say a slow trend that began a decade or so ago and has continued to decline. And it's sad, too, because, I mean, the New York Times at one point in time was one of the most prestigious publications in the nation. It was considered the paper of record for the nation at one point. And now it's – it has weeks, probably more often than not, where the only thing they're really suited for is lining the bottom of a birdcage. It's sad. Yeah. I would be curious to find out who this person actually is, and I think that's part of why this is going to continue to be a big deal. People are going to continue to talk about it, but like I said earlier uh, before we brought Megan on, uh, my my feelings are pretty straightforward on this. If you really believe the things that was written in this op-ed and you are part of this administration, then you should resign. You should go public, and you should be very specific about your cases, and you should demand – publicly that all those that you had talked to that supposedly were with you when you discussed the possibility of enacting the 25th Amendment that uh, they come forward to, and you should name them by name. I mean, this is what should happen, and you should put public pressure on them to either uh, come out and back your story up or continue on as business as usual, because we need to get past all of this stuff. The primary reason why most conservatives would like to see the Russian investigation over with is because we want to see it come to an end. It's not that we don't want to get to the truth. It's that we want it over with so we can get on to stage two. Whatever that is, there are plenty of people that lean conservative that would love to see, okay, if you have this evidence, if you have this proof, if Donald Trump really did commit a crime… Then let's begin the process of removing him. Let's get our current vice president, Mr. Pence, in place, and uh, we move forward. If you don't have anything and this is just you playing politics, then sit down and shut up and let's move on. Same thing with the hearings or the Kavanaugh hearings. You're going to sit back and you're going to make a spectacle, and you're stalling and stalling and stalling, and I surely to goodness… You don't really think at this point in the game that you're going to be able to stall long enough to wait till after the midterms. I mean, some part of me wonders if maybe that's not part of the thinking. If we can, if we can drag this out at least to the midterms, then the blue wave will win, and we can stop this. Only you can't. It's it's not going to happen, guys. What is the thing? What is the purpose? Brent Kavanaugh is not the boogeyman. There are some much, much scarier people to the so-called progressives, the, the uber leftists that are pulling the strings behind these activists uh, that would really, really be all about team conservative, team originalist constitution. 
Some guys that honestly wouldn't hurt for us to have on the bench, but much, much scarier to these folks that are trying to stop the Kavanaugh bit. Kavanaugh, you know, we, we talked about this. I even wrote a piece about it. As, well, it's been uh, months ago now about how Kavanaugh, there's legitimate reasons for conservatives to be concerned about Kavanaugh, how he could be the next Kennedy, how he has a history of dissenting on certain things, but not for the reasons we would like, and various things of the like. And the bottom line is Kavanaugh is someone who has a reputation, when we talk about an actual reputation and not the stuff that's just being uh, smeared everywhere by the leftist activists, has a reputation of putting his personal politics aside and trying to follow what the law says, whether he agrees or disagrees. One of the biggest things that I have an issue with with Mr. Kavanaugh was the fact that he's the one who created the whole legal defense that uh, the individual mandate in Obamacare was a tax. That was him. Justice Roberts ran with it, but that was him. He formulated it. He was the first one to articulate it, and there are several others, but at the end of the day, when it comes to actual qualifications… He has them. There's not too many legitimate reasons, at least none that have been made public at this point, to tell Brent Kavanaugh he should not be a Supreme Court justice, other than the fact that the left currently is just in resist mode. All right, going to do the Edwards Notebook and then the uh, Songs and Stories Veterans Tip of the Day. And if all goes as planned, when I return, I will bring with me Dr. Warren Farrell. If not, then uh, it'll just be you and me, guys. So uh, hang loose, and I will be right back. Thanks. Florida Democrat gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum may accuse Republican candidate Ronda Santos of racism because he used the words monkey up in his warning against voting for the Bernie Sanders anointed candidate. That's pretty sad, but that may be the best the Democrat can offer. Hello, I'm... Ron Edwards, on today's page from the Edwards Notebook, think about it. Republican Ron DeSantos wants to further improve Florida's booming economy, reduce burdensome regulations, help protect against illegal immigration, etc. On the other hand, Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, hopes to increase Florida corporate tax rates, force taxpayers to fund a Florida single-payer medical care boondoggle, abolish ICE, and unite Floridians behind open borders. Gillum has already accused DeSantos of being divisive like Trump because, like Trump, he wants to end illegal immigration. Yep, the leftist Democrat might have a slightly better chance of becoming Florida's governor by screaming racism than by campaigning to slow economic growth, stopping no limits on illegal immigration and abolishing ICE. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on AmericaMatters.us and SHR Media. Also Sunday midnights on Talk America Radio Network. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Dan Perkins here with your songs and stories for Soldiers.us, Veterans Tip of the Day. Would you like medical care quicker from the VA? Of course you would. Here is your Veterans Tip of the Day. The new Veterans Choice Program is one of several programs that allows you to receive care from a community provider, and it's paid for by the VA. 
If a veteran needs an appointment for a specific type of care and the VA cannot provide that care on a timely basis or the nearest VA medical facility is too far away or too difficult to get to, then you may be eligible for care through the Veterans Choice Program. Veterans must receive prior authorization from the VA to receive care from a provider that is part of the VA's VCP network of community providers. For a better quality of life, you can start with a simple phone call. This has been Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers.us, Veterans Tip of the Day. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seems like a thousand years since we had real fears. But the old ones won't forget These broken levee walls Had a few close calls But they haven't fallen yet And you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings a storm on you When the sun beats down and it bakes the ground And you watch the rich land die Such a vicious drought Even hopes in doubt But there are no clouds in the sky But you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings the storm on you when you feel the first drop fall, when it kisses your skin, the storm will begin to bring with it promise of change. When you Ladies and gentlemen, 
Thank you for staying with me through the short break. Of course, with Matt Fitzgibbons with the greatest coming. Check out all his uh, music projects over at uh, PatriotMusic.com. And uh, if you've already checked out PatriotMusic.com, uh, check it out again. He's always got new uh, projects popping up, and he also does uh, merchandise over there now. So great way to support his efforts. And in the meanwhile, I would like to welcome to the show for the very first time Dr. Warren Farrell. Uh, Dr. Farrell, thank you very much for being with us today, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our talking. All right. Well, uh, obviously, uh, what kind of got me interested in your work uh, has to do with tragedy that took place in Jacksonville. Uh, I'm still referring to it as a shooting. I know a lot of people are calling it a massacre, but no matter what you want to call it, one thing that's kind of uh, saddening, I guess, as much as anything, is how quickly the media has moved away from this when there are some pretty serious undertones, and a lot of your work is kind of led in this direction. So if you don't mind, let's kind of start there. What do you see uh, as some of the underlying things that may have played into the shooting uh, that uh, you have studied during the course of your work? One of the common denominators I'm seeing in not all, but almost all of the shootings, uh, the mass shootings, um, but whether they're school shootings or shootings like the ones done by Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas where he killed 58 people and um, injured uh, almost 500, um, as well as the David Katz shooting and also the Nicholas Cruz shooting in Parkland and the Dylan Roof shooting in Charleston and the Elliot Rogers shooting at UCSB and the Adam Lanza shooting at Sandy Hook. They all have in common, all those shootings have in common, um, the, uh, b- done by a boy, first of all, or a man, um, and with a lack of father, uh, a man who had the background of being in a divorced family with a lack of father involvement or no fa- you know, either minimal or no father involvement. And we saw this with um, uh, David Katz, um, who did the Jacksonville shooting, whose parents were divorced in 2005 when David was 11, and then he lived with his mom during his teenage years in an extremely fraught relationship where knives and um, and and scissors were, um, you know, sort of threatened, uh, where each of them threatened the other one with, um, you know, sort of some physical uh, harm. And so uh, that really got me understanding that, you know, that the lack of father involvement is a very significant um, problem for um, both girls and boys, but particularly for boys. When boys don't have their, cha- their testosterone channeled well and constructively, it often is channeled destructively. And you, I saw this then as I started doing the research for the boy crisis. I found that this was also true, not just among mass shooters, but that our ISIS recruits are almost entirely boys with minimal or no father involvement, um, and that the um, you know we have a lot of um, women's centers in the United States, and we also have men's centers, but the men's centers are called prisons, and most people know that the prisons are about 93% males, um, but what fewer people know is that those 93% males are more than 90% boys who who have, boys and men who have grown up without um, significant father involvement. Well, and again, what kind of strikes me too is that I was kind of looking over some of the information, of course, before you came on, and we've been talking about some for some time now the lack of father figures in homes as being one of the primary issues. I think a lot of people have kind of picked that up as far as where our cultural decay is kind of hit at. 
But then some of the other things that you looked at kind of struck me. Um, and I want to kind of take some of those case by case without getting too much, because obviously we'd still like for folks to check out the book, The Boy Crisis. Uh, and it, it is a case where you have spent years literally looking at the phenomenon of what happens with the traditional family unit when the male aspect, that father figure, is absent from that home. Uh, and you talk a lot about suicide rates and some of the statistics, too. And what I find interesting is you look at this crisis uh, and you've broken it down, and, and we'll touch on those statistics uh, as we Yes. Uh, so w- when you look at the, uh, the suicide rates, for mm-hmm. example, the minimal or no father involvement is the single biggest predictor of a boy committing suicide. It's actually the biggest predictor of suicide being um, um, happening for a boy or a girl. However, um, when boys and girls are the, uh, at the age of 11, uh, sorry, at the age of 9, uh, they are equally likely to commit suicide. When they're between 10 and 14, boys are twice as likely to commit suicide. Uh, when they're between 15 and 19, boys are four times as likely to commit suicide. And when they're between 20 and 25, boys are almost six times as likely to commit suicide. Um, We also see this with the opioid epidemic and drugs. Um, Boys are much more likely to die of an opioid overdose, and they're much more likely to die of um, uh, drugs, uh, drug overdose in general. Um, And the the single biggest predictor of um, doing drugs at the addictive level um, is um, a minimal father involvement or no father involvement and almost always from a broken home. Yeah. Uh, would you say this is also indicative of general uh, uh, street crime, uh, gang activity, that where people yes, are looking for a, a Go ahead. And you, what you see there, of course, is uh, boys often from inner cities going from mother-only families to female-only school systems, and then it really is just common sense that a boy who has no father figure, no father and no father figure, would begin to, at the age of, you know, um, second, third, fourth, or fifth grade, uh, be looking for somebody to give him some sense of reputation, some sense of respect. Um, Although it be false respect, he makes a Faustian deal with a gang leader and gets involved in some gang that promises to be the one with the the best territory that chooses the best kids that can fight the best and will be trained to fight the best. And before you know it, he's in jail um, and becomes one of those 93% of the people who are in jail becoming males. So in essence, though, this kind of still boils down to them looking for that uh, a surrogate father because they didn't have that way. I mean, you talk about the science of roughhousing as part of uh, on the website. Uh, scientifically speaking, uh, based on what you've seen, elaborate on that a little bit before we uh, hit some of the other topics because I think that's something that's overlooked and is almost frowned upon in this modern age. But you say you it serves a- – you are so correct, and and um, so we've we've been dealing with the outcomes of father deprivation, deprivation. But what you're leading me to now is something much more important, which is why. What do fathers do 
that lead to children doing so much better when they have a lot of father involvement and so much worse when they don't. And so um, there's about, in, in the boy crisis, I discuss about 10 different differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting. And I'll just give, um, because of our time, I'll just deal, deal with rough, rough housing as an example of a difference. Uh, we all sort of know that dads are far more likely to roughhouse than moms. And when dads are roughhousing, usually mom is looking at dads roughhousing with the kids and going, oh, God, there's just one more parent, one more child I have to monitor. And mom is trying to restrain herself from interfering with um, dad roughhousing with the kids. And she's saying to herself, okay, okay, the kids look like they're having a lot of fun, but I know that if this keeps up, sooner or later they're just going to have an accident. And the, the dad seems sort of oblivious to this possibility. And sure enough, with about a 99% chance she's right and the kids either hit each other's heads or one pushes the other one aside and um, and somebody starts crying and so um, but dad he doesn't read about uh, in any boy crisis book or any other parenting book or parenting magazine he doesn't read what the functions of roughhousing are he just knows he does it and loves it and the kids love it um, so, but here's what a dad would say if he did do his homework. Um, he'd explain that, let's say that Johnny and Jane and Jimmy are on uh, the couch together and they're ready to jump off the couch onto dad's back with the goal of pinning dad down before dad pins, pins the three of them down together. And so in the process of all this excitement about jumping on dad's back and trying to, to pin him down in a wrestling match, um, they're, you know, w one of them is pushing the other one aside and and um, you know, and the big the big boy, as Johnny, let's say, is pushing Jimmy aside and Jane aside, and and Jimmy is and Jimmy is also pushing Jane aside, and Dad stops and says, "Okay, uh, you can't um, you can't push you can't um, bully um, uh, Jane. Uh, she's younger than you are. You have to you know give her a little break and let her in uh, a little bit and give her a chance." I don't really want to give her a chance, you know, but okay, 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 I'll do it. And so then the, um, and then eventually they go back to uh, roughhousing again. And then what do they do? They forget it in the excitement of roughhousing. They forget what da their agreement to dad to not be so, um, to, to, to not push Jane or Jimmy aside. And so dad goes, okay, dad typically goes, okay, um, I warned you, no more roughhousing until tomorrow night. And so the kids grouse, but they don't grouse a lot because what dad has done bond of excitement like a roller coaster. Um, you know, it, he creates a lot of excitement, but also creates a safety net. And so the kids go, okay, okay, um, um, I re realize that I didn't do what dad asked me to do, so I have to take the punishment. Um, so what dad doesn't explain to mom is, number one, First, what he's done is he's used the roughhousing to create a bond that allows the kids to not be so resentful about him creating a strict boundary. Second, he's told them to not um, push the other child aside, but he's given them the experience of what pushing the other child aside is. Mom will often say, you know, treat, your, treat Janie and Jim with respect, and you're bigger, you have to be careful. But when push comes to shove, uh, an intellectual lecture does not do much 
does not help the kids understand exactly when is when are they being assertive, when are they being aggressive, um, how to how to pay attention to uh, Jimmy or Jane's feelings, and so the data shows the science of roughhousing shows that children that do a lot of roughhousing with their father or their mother, by the way, um, are far more likely to be empathetic, and they're far more likely to be <laughs> assertive but not aggressive because they're constantly getting the real-life experience of how to think of somebody else's feelings, which increases empathy, and when assertiveness morphs into um, aggressiveness. Yeah. Uh, some folks probably won't care much for this uh, analogy, but it's not all that dissimilar from rough play that we see with other mammals like kittens or puppies, for example, where it really helps them to learn the boundaries of what is uh, acceptable behavior and what's pushing it just a little too far, too. Is that accurate? That is exactly accurate. This, is, you know, this has grown up. You know, we, all, almost all animals learn to. The first thing, one of the first things they learn to do, is learn to play. And when they learn to play with each other and roughhouse with each other, uh, they learn when you know when to push and a shove, when a tease, a, um, a, a taunt. The same with teasing. Um, teasing teaches people how to handle um, criticism in a fun type of way, but it also lets them know when it's gone too far. And so when, there is, when there's not good uh, learning lessons like this, the children without these lessons are far more likely to have two things happen to them in school. They're more likely to be bullies, and they're also more likely to be bullied. The bullies and the bullied have a, a dad deprivation problem. Uh, but um, another example of, of a difference between what um, father-style parenting, dad-style parenting, and mom-style parenting, probably the most important difference is the difference between boundary setting and boundary enforcement. Uh, so, for example, um, mom and dad will both set boundaries almost the same way. They'll both say some version of, you can't have your ice cream until you finish your peas. Um, and the children will test boundaries in the same way. They'll try to have as few peas as possible before they get the ice cream. Um, and the, but the difference is in the boundary enforcement. Mom will, when the child says, you know, I, I don't want any more peas, but I want my ice cream, mom will tend to say, well, sweetie, you know, um, you should have some peas, too, that's healthy for you. But I'll tell you what, I know it's been a tough day today, and I know you got maybe pushed around in school, you didn't do well on a test, and, and, um, and I, I remember I yelled at you a little bit too loud before. Uh, so I'll tell you what, you'll have a, few, have a few more peas, this many more peas, and then you could have your ice cream. So now, but the, the child, whereas the dad will, is far more likely to say some version of, excuse me, we have a deal here. Uh, you know the deal, and you know that I know the deal, and the deal is you have to finish your peas before you get your ice cream. And the kid may say, oh, you're so mean. And dad will say, you can continue yelling and whining, and there'll be no more ice cream tomorrow night either. So here's the lesson that dads, as children pick up from the moms versus the dads. With moms, the children learn, I can, if, I, if I find mom's soft point or weak point, I can manipulate a better deal and have fewer peas before I have to have my ice cream. So they learn good manipulative skills and good coercive skills that lead to reports and studies that we do with moms um, showing that the moms feel coerced, overwhelmed, and exhausted, um, oftentimes in raising children. Um, with, whereas with dad, what the child learns is I have no option but to focus on finishing the peas, that is to do what I have to do before I get what I want. 
So we find that children raised predominantly by dads, only 15% of them have ADHD. Children raised predominantly by moms, 30% of them have ADHD. And if you look at that example, you can get a sense as to why. The child raised predominantly by the dad learns that he has to put his, their attention focus on finishing whatever is necessary. With the child raised by mom learns that they don't have to finish. They can have develop an attention deficit because their mind is going off to how can I manipulate a better deal. The, the slippery slope of all of this is enormous. When children go to school, the ones that don't have postponed gratification, they don't know how to get their homework finished. They don't know how to um, rehearse for the, the practice for, to be on the basketball team or the school player to finish p piano lessons. And so they don't get as much respect from their teachers. They don't get as much respect from peers. And their they find their parents aren't proud of them. They're much more likely to withdraw into depression, get preoccupied with addiction to video games, and when it comes to boy-girl time, because girls are not usually very interested in going out with, with losers, they go out with the winner, what they perceive as the winners, uh, the, the boys feel that, like they're rejected by the girls, and they get withdrawn to video games, and not just video games, but also video porn. And the video porn addicts their brain to dopamine when things get more and more exciting, and before you know it, they don't know how to relate to a real girl, and so when they have a relationship with a real girl, that has the possibility of sexuality, the real girl almost, reje almost always rejects them, which then sends them back into a deeper addiction to porn. Well, so in a lot of ways, you're saying that it's a, a learned behavior that later manifests itself as a, a chemical change in the brain? That's exactly right. It's a, it's a, a and not knowing how usually to postpone gratification, therefore not knowing how to complete any project or any or fulfill any dream. If you're a tall boy, let's say, and you have a dream of being a basketball star, um, but you don't know how to you know, practice the ins and outs of every play, uh, you'll never become that basketball star. And the, practicing those ins and outs is a, is a routine. It's boring. Um, and anyone that's easily distracted does not get a chance to be the star of pretty much any sport event um, or any um, musical venture or if he wants to be an actor, he has to rehearse the lines, and sooner or later he fails at every dream he cuts out for himself, and that makes him ashamed of himself. Yeah. All and, right. it changes, uh, the, and it changes his brain. Right. Uh, one of the other things that you talk about is how this, and I think it kind of ties into where we're at right now, you talk about how this is also a crisis of purpose. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot too. Would you care to touch on that? It certainly does. Almost nobody articulates this. <clears throat> Historically speaking, we had bad news and good news. Uh, the the good the, that was that almost every gener you've heard the expression that you know every generation has its war, and in almost every generation, parents prepared their sons to be in those wars, um, and therefore prepare and and they, we so we gave our sons what I call in the boy crisis book social bribes um, to. We called an example of a social bribe is calling our son a hero um, if he died in war or even risked his life and saved other people uh, while he was in, in war or in battle. So we were, on the one hand, training our sons to be 
heroes. But on the other hand, we were training our sons for um, the possibility of disposability. But the good news and the bad news is that uh, the, 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 the good news was that he had a sense of purpose. The bad news um, and, the good, um, and the good news also was that today fewer boys have to die in war. And the bad news is that fewer boys have a sense of purpose, that, I, you know, that I'll be a Marine like my father was. Um, and also, um, the other option for a boy to define himself as a male um, was to be a sole breadwinner and a successful sole breadwinner. Um, and if he wasn't highly educated, he might have done that as a coal miner or as a firefighter. Or uh, if he was highly educated, he might have worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week to become an executive to climb to the top of some ladder in some corporation to sell some product he really didn't care about and often die at work um, what the what the Japanese call Kuroshi, which is translates into death from overwork uh, or death at the desk. And so this, um, so the boy learned that the important thing was for him to in some way perform. Um, so and if he didn't perform, he wouldn't be respected. But today, women share with men to a much greater degree than in the past uh, the breadwinning role. So it doesn't define him, it doesn't give him a sense of purpose to be a breadwinner, uh, because oftentimes a woman will share that with him so he can no longer define that as masculinity. It's the same degree. And that's really good because it frees boys from having to sort of climb some corporate ladder and earn a great deal of money since the road to high pay is a toll road. The more money you make, the more sacrifices you make to the company um, to do what they need to do in order to get the money that they pay you. And so so the good news is less pressure to be the sole breadwinner and less pressure to be a hero by being a, um, a, a soldier or a warrior, the bad news is that there's a purpose void. And when there's a purpose void combined with a dad void, that's when trouble really starts. Uh, because now, in, with, a da- with a dad involved, the boy has a role model to guide him to both to doing two things, which a dad does when he's a good dad. Uh, number one is he helps the boy discover what fulfills him, what his unique characteristics are, what his unique self is. And he taps it, tunes into that with the boy. But he also understands that the more fulfilling the occupation of the boy, the less likely a fulfilling occupation is to pay well. And it's the job of the dad and the mom to help the child not only know what fulfills him, but also what will earn enough money to sustain him, and ideally when he gets married, to help sustain his wife and his children. He may not have to do the, be the only sustainer anymore, but he needs to do some combination of finding what is fulfilling and what is um, economically um, sustaining. Right. Well, uh, Doctor, uh, besides uh, the multiple books that you've written and all this work, you're now also currently uh, uh, sitting as the chair of the commission to try to uh, get the White House to create a uh, White House Council on Boys and Men, similar to the uh, previous White House Council uh, on Girls and Women that's still in operation. Uh, A lot of focus has been made towards trying to help uh, women to – have more fulfilling and meaningful lives and get that level of equality, not just as a uh, socioeconomic status, but also at a cultural level too, outside of the home. 
but obviously you feel like there's not enough focus on boys, and I think you're laying out a pretty good case. How is it going uh, in regards to trying to get the White House counsel on boys and men uh, facilitated? It's been a struggle. Um, there has been <clears throat> very little – we had – with the Obama administration, we had gotten all the way up to – um, having it on the agenda as the Boy Scouts stood outside of the Oval Office and getting ready to present, have an Eagle Scout present the uh, proposal to create a White House Council on Boys and Men. Um, with the Trump administration, we've gotten into talking to the Department of Education, but uh, not at the highest level. And so we've had a little bit more struggle, even though, as a rule, conservatives um, are far more responsive to understanding the importance of the family and the importance of father involvement. And as a rule, liberals have been more resistant to that. Hmm. Uh, that's, it's kind of, I guess, disheartening, the fact that, that you think about a topic or an issue like this and to, to believe that it's partisan, that it's become so partisan. That we have literally gotten to the point that we politicized the fact that we would almost prefer a broken uh, family if it gets us votes or uh, vice versa. Instead of worrying about what's best for the country and the individuals, I, I uh, applaud your work and efforts on this. Uh, real quick, doctor, uh, let everybody know where they can uh, find your work and uh, where they can find the book. Yes, um, my website is warrenferrell.com. I couldn't remember anything more complicated, so they uh, gave it to, to me by my name. And it's W-A-R-R-E-N, and Farrell is F as in Frank, A-R-R-E-L-L.com. And then, or, or just check out, you know, just if you want to make it easy, just um, put into um, your browser um, Boy Crisis and Warren Farrell, or even just Boy Crisis and put quotes around it and my name will come up and the book will come up. All right. And for those of you that are here at the platform uh, that I'm broadcasting from uh, in the show description, I do have links to uh, both Dr. Farrell's uh, personal website and then uh, to uh, boycrisis.org, uh, uh, which will uh, allow you to get a good feel for what the book is. Uh, obviously um, in your own words, doctor, uh, you'd say that this is a comprehensive blueprint what parents, teachers, it, and Paul can do? It is a comprehensive blueprint. It's, you know, and I'm very um, solution-oriented. I sort of talk about, I don't just talk, suggest things like create a family dinner night. I give you guidelines to um, create it so a family dinner night does not become a family dinner nightmare. And, um, and the, the book has just um, been nominated for a National Book Award, so hopefully that will go places. And it's a, a very – it took me 11 years to write it, so you, you get a huge amount from the reading of it, I think. All right. Well, again, I certainly appreciate the effort. I, I think there is one clear thing. It is good for America to have fathers in the home. And uh, I think it's true outside of America, too. The world uh, is better as a whole. Uh, I appreciate your efforts, Doctor. And uh, obviously, there's so many things we didn't get to touch on. Would love to have a chance to speak with you again soon. Uh, the Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It is the full title. Any last parting thoughts you'd like to share with the audience before you go, Doctor? Yes, I'd just like to say to dads, especially – <clears throat> it's so important that you understand the not just the value of being involved, but 
the value of doing the things that come naturally to you to get your children out of their comfort zone, the, the boundary enforcement, and then you know how to lovingly explain these things to your wife or woman friend. Uh, women can't hear what men don't say. And so we, the next stage of progress is us speaking up and in a loving way and at the same time listening and creating not dad-style parenting or mom-style parenting, but what I would call checks and balance parenting. Thank you very much for your time this evening, Dr. Farrell. And Thank you. Uh, you've, up- you've asked great questions and, and listened very patiently to the answers. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry. You kind of cut out. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Here, here and there that um, we did cut out from each other. I, I'm, I'm cut out from you right now. I can't hear you in case you can't hear me. Uh, Tim, uh, we're, I think we're, we're cutting out from each other. Uh, yeah, I lost you for just a second. Can you hear me now? Yes, no, I can, but I did. I lost you also. All right. Well, uh, sorry about that. Obviously, sometimes these uh, switchboards get a little twitchy. But, uh, again, thank you very much, sir, and uh, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to speak again in the future. Any time. It's a real pleasure, Tim. Thank you, uh, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Warren. Farrell, uh, you know, he's he was a great guest, and I, I had my concerns. I had watched uh, one of his YouTube videos, uh, and he did a uh, TEDx talk, and uh, some of the stats he pulled were uh, ultra lefty stats about some of the school students. Uh, shootings, blah, blah, enunciation is important. School shootings. See, I can speak English. Wow. Uh, but as it turns out, I think more to the point, uh, he was just taking stats that were available. He didn't uh, look at the sources as well as he should. Uh, but, you know, he was. Uh, and, uh, of course, Mary in the chat room. Mary joined us during the, the middle of that. So glad to have you here, Mary. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, she told me earlier in the chat room that uh, she would have been here sooner, but she thought I was taking today off, too. So. Uh, glad you made it, Mary. Uh, definitely, and I agree. He he was a good guest, and he's very uh, focused on one thing that I think is a vital, vital thing for the future of country, and certainly would be helpful for other countries around the world. And that's a return to fathering, having the male parents be part of the day-to-day life of uh, children. I mean, obviously. Not every man makes a great father, but even just good dads, you don't have to be a great dad, but if you're just a good dad, you make the world a much better place for the children uh, they get to see. And it's good for the daughters too. But you know, again, a lot of the stats uh, that he had through his research that he had compiled were just phenomenal as far as uh, how – Boys who are raised without a father in the home fall behind in the educational curves and fall behind in the self-worth curves and and, and all of these things just so outstanding. But uh, it, it would be good to think that we could get a return to uh, a focus on fathers in the home. I do mean exactly what I said earlier when it is a sad statement. When we have politicized it, when there is actual political gain, uh, leftists 
And, and I say leftist because in this case I'm talking very specifically about folks with an agenda. Not every Democrat who has held office shares this agenda. Some of them have simply fallen into the propaganda bubble. It doesn't make it any better. They've helped to promote it. They've helped push it, but they don't see it the way it was designed, and the entirety of the welfare state as it was created in the United States was designed with the intent of breaking up families. I can tell you from personal experience that I sat in an office with my wife, and I've had this conversation on two separate occasions. We were trying to get food stamps. At that point in time, I had been struggling between uh, jobs for a while. It had gotten rough. We were trying to get food stamps, and on two separate occasions, we were in this uh, situation with two separate people that happened to work for the government, try to help us to get our food stamps. We were given the advice to get a divorce. <laughs> Drop my pen. <laughs> Not that you guys care, but… Uh, <laughs> If you heard any strange noises, that's me trying to get my pen. Um, but I was told, my wife was told, uh, we should get a divorce. It would be perfectly okay for me to stay with her, that we can live together. That's not an issue, but he could get us a lot more benefits if we weren't married, at least not legally. And that, of course, makes it a hell of a lot easier when you have that first big fight after you've gotten divorced for benefits. It's just another little way to chip away at that family unit, another way to chip away at the cornerstone of what makes life worth living for most folks, and that is the family. You need a father and a mother in order to have a well-balanced Attack, <laughs> a well-balanced uh, effort to raise children to have them best prepared for the world as it exists, as to, to have them so that you can do the best possible job of teaching values and, and having them prepared to, to withstand the attack the outside world is going to place on their values. And, and those are the kind of things that we are missing in this modern age. And and I, I did. I was concerned that maybe uh, Dr. Farrell would go with a stat or something that I'd have to challenge, and it might get a little combative at that point, which I certainly don't want to be combative with guests. I typically don't like doing that, but he just stayed on the format, and he understood this was a conservative show too, so maybe he peeled back a little too just for the importance of getting the message across. And I, like I said, this is a message that should not be partisan. It has become partisan, but it shouldn't be. It's heartbreaking to think that that's where we're at. What's the best way to save this republic? Start building great families again. That starts at home. Don't expect the government to fix things. The government's really only good at two things. That's wasting money and messing stuff up. If you're expecting the government to be the solution – then either you don't understand the problem or you're from another country, <laughs> and heaven help you. Uh, I don't know of any other governments that do much of a better job of trying to solve problems. I, I just don't. Anyway, 
I suppose if I'm going to talk about Colin Kaepernick, now would be the time uh, as we're running into the last segment of the show. Two points I want to make real quick uh, when it comes to Kaepernick. <laughs> Excuse me. And I was so hoping we'd be able to finally move away from having to even talk about this. I was hoping that the NFL would just enforce this simple rule, and we'd be done talking about it. You hear a few whiny people from the NFL Players Association comment about it. They would eventually give up whining, and we would just move forward with it. But unfortunately, the NFL leadership might be spineless because they immediately backtracked on their decision to enforce the rules. So then we're back to having the dealing. And now Nike decides that Colin Kaepernick is the face of the company. So first, I wanted to talk about what Chris Kyle's widow had to say in regards. And then I'd like to read uh, Ben Shapiro's article about – well, uh, from Ben Shapiro's article. I won't read the whole thing, and I'm going to kind of pick and choose sections of it. Uh, but the primary four reasons why Nike is okay with uh, whatever back um, backlash may come from this. So we'll start with Chris Kyle's show. This past Tuesday, the will of former Dave Seal hero, Chris Kyle, I say former only because he's no longer with us, she reacted to Nike's new ad campaign featuring former NFL quarterback and national anthem kneeler, Colin Kaepernick. She, whose family understands real sacrifice firsthand, slammed Nike for their widely criticized claim that Kaepernick somehow sacrificed everything by taking the knee. Uh, quoted here is part of the ad campaign. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Now, those are the words that are laid over Colin Kaepernick's face in part of this printed media. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Now, I can think of a lot of people that would have a right to say that, and it would be inspiring, and it would mean something. A lot of people who actually have done some sacrifice, and Colin Kaepernick's name just really – it doesn't make the list when I think about it. Now, this is quoting from Chris Kyle's widow. <clears throat> this is from a Facebook post, by the way. Quote, Nike, I love your gear, but you exhaust my spirit on this one. Your new ad with Colin Kaepernick, I get the message. But that sacrificing everything thing doesn't play out here. Sacrificing what exactly? A career? I've done that both times I chose to stay home and be with my kids instead of continuing my business climb. 
And it wasn't sacrificing everything. It was sacrificing one career and some money, and it was because of what I believe in, and more importantly, who I believe in. At best, that's all Colin sacrificed, some money, and it's debatable if he really lost his career over it. That whole sacrificing everything is an insult to those who really have sacrificed everything. You want to talk about someone in the NFL sacrificing everything? Pat Tillman. Sorry. I had something. Pat Tillman. You know, I see that and and I know where she's going and and I I get a little lump in my throat when I think about Pat Tillman. But I, I'll continue. Pat Tillman, NFL starting, starting in all caps, not benched, player, who left to join the Army and died for it. That is sacrificing everything for something you believe in. How about other warriors? Warriors who will not be on magazine covers, who will not get lucrative contracts and millions of followers from their actions and who have truly sacrificed everything. They did it because they believed in something. Take it from me. When I say they sacrificed everything, they also sacrificed the lives of their loved ones who will never be the same. That is sacrificing everything for something they believe in. For anybody that doesn't remember who Chris Kyle was, Chris was a war hero, the real-life subject of the book and the film American Sniper. He was murdered in 2013 by a veteran who was suffering from PTSD that uh, Chris Kyle was trying to help at the time. He was a decorated SEAL who served four tours of duty in the Iraq War and was dubbed the most lethal sniper in U.S. history. He left behind his wife and his children. His widow continued, taking a stand or rather a knee against the flag which has covered the caskets of so many who actually did sacrifice everything for something they believed in, that we all believe in, asked as a question actually right there, that we all believe in? Well, the irony of your ad, it almost leaves me speechless. Were you trying to be insulting? Now, she closed her post in a way that I think should hurt most business people everywhere, but I think most people who understand where she's coming from will stand up and applaud. She closed it out by saying, quote, All I know is I was actually in the market for some new kicks. 
And at least for now, I've never been more grateful for Under Armour. (laughs) I think she sums that up in a way that most of us really couldn't. Eloquent. She was on point. She's very clear. <sighs> Chief, uh, when your worst has been, no reason to believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Because you have nothing left to sacrifice, just do it. Well, I'll give you one better than that, Chief. Because the the sad truth is, once the, the whole Nike thing came out, turns out that Nike had already had a deal with Kaepernick that uh, they didn't uh, expire at the end of his uh, employment with the Forty ers The reason that Colin Kaepernick could turn up his nose at the offer that was made to him by the Denver Broncos, which is also something that still not a lot of people are reporting, even though there was this little bit of a debacle there when he kind of got into it with John Elway, because Elway went public. We made Colin Kaepernick an offer to come here. Well, he talked about uh, his lifetime quarterback ratings. Well, John Elway had several more seasons. Sadly, a few of them without the benefit of a running game to have the lifetime quarterback rating drop down just a little bit. But I will take John Elway's professional career over your one trip to a Super Bowl, unsuccessful, um, and then benched because you were underperforming. Uh, over your slightly higher quarterback rating anytime. I think most people would. But the reason he was able to turn down his nose at the Broncos offer was because Nike was still paying him there. He's going to make more money, just like every other professional athlete who manages to get a high-quality deal with one of the companies. He's going to make much more money from them than he ever was from actually playing the sport. And he was constantly still on the payroll. Nike was paying him the whole time he was supposedly unemployed. So he had the money and the means. He didn't have to take the job. So he could stand back and say, this isn't the job I want. He doesn't have to lower himself to try to reboot his career by going to the CFL or some place like that he doesn't have to because nike was paying him better than his nfl contracts were anyway and this new ad campaign it's going to do exactly that they claim they claim that this is about inspirational athletes who followed their dreams regardless of the outcome inspirational Well, it's easy to be inspired by someone when you don't know the truth of their story. And obviously a lot of people don't know the truth of the fact that this guy, a lot like Barack Obama, is half white. And he grew up literally with that silver spoon in his mouth. He has never understood what the oppression of even being in the hood would be. Never. But it doesn't matter. 
Because Nike is okay with this. Nike is in a good position. And I'm going to have to really hurry to get this in. But I'm going to get at least four, well, at least three of four reasons why Nike does not care about the potential blowback. First of all, Nike wants free publicity. Corporate marketing schemes thrive on free publicity. Viral marketing is, by definition, the kind of marketing you can't really pay for. And by directly jumping in to the fray of a political issue, which this has become, Nike has ensured that its campaign will be the talk of the town. I mean, look, I'm talking about it right now. Buying millions of dollars in coverage for which the company didn't pay. And, of course, just wait. When President Trump starts uh, tweeting about it, that's only going to push it to the roof, right? They also don't care because in their minds, at least in their corporate entities and in their corporate existence and amongst the general clientele they have, President Trump is rather unpopular. So what about Nike alienating half of the country, namely the 53% of Americans who disagree with Kaepernick's kneeling for the anthem protest? What about it? Well, Nike's fine with that because they figured that Trump will continue to tweet about the issue, driving publicity and making his own cause more toxic because in their mind – because I've heard people make this case. They really think that uh, it's something that happened with the flag issue itself. They believe that the public was – more united again before Trump began speaking about the issue than after. I myself don't think there's been a change. However, there are some people that just don't like Donald Trump, so anything Trump says they're against, maybe the numbers changed a little bit, but they didn't change because they agreed with the protest. They simply changed because they're part of resistance. Black Americans disproportionately support Kaepernick's protest. Nearly 7 in 10 black Americans support Kaepernick's protest, as opposed to the 6 in 10 white Americans who oppose it. So Nike knows that this campaign will be popular among a key demographic for them. Why? Because black Americans also disproportionately spend more money on clothing and sports apparel. Furthermore, in the area of athletics, black Americans often are the Taste makers, the trendsetters, the king makers, if you will. So, given the overrepresentation of blacks in athletic fields, it makes perfect sense why you would care. Because when it comes down to it, Nike's strategy does make sense for them. In this political fight, the way the demographics break down, Capitalism is going to win out. They win the fight because of capitalism. Period. Personally, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that anything to do with Colin Kaepernick ever became a topic for national conversation outside of sports news, which is where it should have stayed. And now it is even more ridiculous, the fact that we are talking about this three years after it started. And still not an air of realism about it. 
is where we're as a society at the moment. It's being written by people who believe so strongly in their opinion that they're not willing to sign it. We have the New York Times, supposedly the paper record, willing to print it. We have Colin Kaepernick, the face of a Nike ad campaign, in the on the anniversary of the Just Do It, the swoosh. Now, uh, Chief from Simple Facts of Life uh, has uh, posted a meme on Facebook, has uh, Kaepernick's face on it, much like the Nike ad. And over it, it's like, when you're a washed up, has been, there's no reason to believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, because you have nothing left to sacrifice. Just do it. I like that. Uh, I like that, Chief. We'll probably be sharing that later. <laughs> and I look at the clock and I see that this means it's pretty much the end of the show. So before we go any further, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Megan Barth for joining us. Uh, please, everybody, check out uh, both uh, ReaganBabe.com. Also, check out MediaEqualizer.com. And uh, if you are here, then... Uh, at the platform, then you have links to both those in the show description. Also, want to take the opportunity to thank uh, my second guest, who we had a very, I think, a very interesting conversation, Dr. Warren Farrell. I also have links to his personal web address and a link to the book Boy Crisis. Uh, you can find uh, Boy Crisis at Amazon. Ordinarily, I share that link in there as well, but uh, I've discovered most of these folks, if they have a website set up for the book, they'd rather you go there, and I certainly understand that. Uh, so by all means, check that out. I uh, would also like to thank everybody who was a guest in the chat room today. We're down to Mary and Chief. Uh, everyone else is cleared out. But uh, definitely want to thank Annie for being in here earlier. And uh, several guests popped in and out. So thanks to all you guys. Uh, I'm guessing the rest of the usual crew probably figured I was still taking uh, some time off, much like uh, Mary did earlier. And that would be my fault. I didn't do a lot of promotion uh, beforehand. I I found it's not very effective anymore to be able to put it in the events section and uh, several social media outlets and then post it, whatever. I still do, and it doesn't make much of a difference. So it used to draw pretty good crowds. Now I think I'm being shadow banned. Anyway, I guess that means it's time for me to go. So again, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And everybody who's listening at uh, Spotify and iHeartRadio and iTunes and Stitcher, wherever you're catching the show. And especially you guys at KYAH, 40 p.m., Utah's Talk Authority. Please join me tomorrow morning. I'll be on your airwaves from 10 till noon, Sunday morning. And uh, for the rest of you guys, I'll be back. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in a little effort and to use your brain. If you really want to tap into the truth, 
going to go out with using both hands. Once again, Matt Smith Givens, please check out PatriotMusic.com when you get a chance and let him know I sent you. Won't get you a discount, but I like him to know I'm still sending people your way. <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys. God bless, and I'll see you again soon. I'll be back Friday night. Bye. Using both hands.